asking the right question can greatly impact your future. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Today on Inside Politics, a big bet on New Hampshire. Nikki Haley is crisscrossing the Granite State, making her case to as many voters as possible. Stakes for the first in the nation primary are incredibly high, but she's now trying to keep expectations low. Plus, chaos and bedlam. Donald Trump is warning that's what we can expect if the U.S. Supreme Court says states like Colorado can rule that he's ineligible to run for president. It's one of Trump's multiple legal battles we're watching over the next few weeks. And less time at the podium, more time ordering milkshakes. That's what to expect from President Biden on the trail. We have new reporting on his campaign's attempt to highlight what they think is the president's best attribute, connecting with voters. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start in New Hampshire, where Nikki Haley is all over the map, literally. She's holding six events in that state today and doing some TV interviews along the way. Here's just part of her busy morning. There are multiple instances that we need to start asking Donald Trump the questions and stop taking what he's saying to be golden. We had a very low turnout in Iowa. We're going to have a really good turnout in New Hampshire. I am not going to do anything that's not going to be tough on the border because I passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country. I'm in favor of anything and everything that will empower parents and empower students at the federal level and at the state level. CNN's Kylie Atwood is following Nikki Haley today. So, Kylie, uh, give us a sense of the feel, what it feels like on the trail up there in the Granite State with Nikki Haley. Well, urgency indeed, and there's two reasons for that. The first of which is time. The clock is running out here. We're just four days from the New Hampshire primary. The other part of it is the campaign and Haley herself predict that they will do quite well in New Hampshire. And the stakes are incredibly high for her because she came in third in Iowa, more than 30 points behind former President Trump. And they see New Hampshire as a place where it is one-on-one with Trump. Haley versus Trump, because of course we should note DeSantis is here in New Hampshire today. Day, but he hasn't been really aggressively competing in the state. He put more of his eggs into the Iowa basket. Nikki Haley's team feels like she can do better here. And I've privately talked to sources close to the campaign who say that she really needs a victory in New Hampshire. But she's trying to tamp down those expectations, saying she wants a strong showing. Listen to her conversation last night with Jake Tapper as part of that CNN town hall. Governor Sununu is predicting a win for you here in New Hampshire, but he's also saying a strong second place finish uh, would be, in his words, great. Would a strong second place finish be great for you? What I want to do is be strong. We're not going to know what strong looks like until those numbers come in. But you guys will all say whether it's strong or not. So I'm sure that you'll do that. But look, I mean, we want to do better than we did in Iowa. That's my personal goal. 
Now, there's a few pieces to Nikki Haley's campaigning here, their strategy here in New Hampshire. Of course, the first of which is that they feel like Nikki Haley can go after independent voters. And that's a key voting block here because, as you know, Dana, makes up almost 40 percent of the electorate in New Hampshire. She's not going to get all of those voters, but even getting a large portion of that bucket could be crucial for her on Tuesday. And then the other part of it is she has been responding to attacks from former President Trump uh, really more aggressively in recent days. And she has said that he's going after her simply because he feels threatened. So she's on the campaign trail today, as you said, barnstorming the state and trying to really just get in front of as many voters as she can so that she can encourage them to go out and primary for her, vote for her on Tuesday. Dana. Kylie, thank you so much. See you up there this weekend. And now over to Concord, New Hampshire, where Donald Trump will be tonight. It'll be his third rally there in four days. CNN's Alina Treen is following it all. Uh, he clearly sees Haley as a threat, the threat. And their goal, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, is to try to finish by finishing off her campaign, try to maybe finish off the entire uh, election primary campaign at the end of New Hampshire. That's exactly right. Uh, they see New Hampshire as um, potentially, you know, if Donald Trump can do as well as they're hoping he will do, uh, virtually the place where this primary season will end. But we'll see. We're still four days away uh, from the primary and they still have a lot of work to do. And that's why Donald Trump is here this weekend aggressively campaigning ahead of Tuesday's primary. But look, about the threat, uh, he does see Nikki Haley as a threat. And there's a couple of reasons for that, Dana. One is that he and his team have been closely watching Haley rise in the polls in recent weeks and really narrow the gap with Donald Trump here in the state. And I know from my conversations with Trump's advisors that that is a real concern for them. But the other uh, concern is the complicating factor of the way that the New Hampshire primary is set up. Unlike in Iowa, um, independent voters, undeclared voters uh, are able to vote in this primary. And we've seen in poll after poll that those are the type of voters that Nikki Haley does very well with. And that's why her campaign is very confident. And so uh, Trump's team is also a bit concerned about that. And in response to those concerns, we have seen Donald Trump uh, aggressively escalate his attacks on Haley uh, virtually on every campaign stop and in every interview over the past several weeks now. Just last night, he told Fox News that he doesn't think Haley has what it takes to be president. Take a listen to what he said. I know Nikki very well. She worked for me for a long time. She would not be able to handle that position. She would not be able to handle the onslaught. With all of that being said, Within the Republican Party, I want to bring unity. And within the nation, I want to bring unity. And, you know, unity is going to come from success. Now, Dana, uh, I do want to just take a moment to address that last line from Trump. Uh, it's a similar line that he made actually on stage on Monday night uh, when he declared victory during the Iowa caucuses. Uh, he's virtually arguing that he wants to unify the Republican Party and unify the country while uh, simultaneously trashing Nikki Haley in the same sentence. And uh, I know you know this as well, but covering Donald Trump for years, uh, it's kind of an absurd notion because he's very effectively used divisive rhetoric uh, repeatedly to try to grip onto power and try to rise to power. But it is an argument from my conversations with his campaign that they think and not necessarily will play as well in the primary, but would play very well in a general election. You're starting to see some of that rhetoric shift as well um, as they continue to think he's going to be very successful in these remaining early voting states. Until he changes his rhetoric in the general if he gets there as well. Uh, 
And you and I both know that from covering him so many years. Uh, thank you so much for that great reporting. Exactly, yeah. Appreciate it. Let's talk to more great reporters here at the table. CNN's Casey Hunt, the New York Times' Zolan Kano Youngs, and Aaron Blake of the Washington Post. Nice to see you all. Happy Friday. But in this season, Friday is <laughs> Happy New Hampshire primary weekend. literally <laughs> just a day that ends in Y, right? Um, for all of you celebrating Friday. Congratulations. <laughs> I saw you nodding when uh, Kylie was talking about the undeclared voters. We call them undeclared voters in New Hampshire, not independent voters. Forty uh, percent. It's a pretty big number, but they are they're they come in all shapes and cyber sizes and flavors on the spectrum of politics. This is why this is such a kind of high stakes moment mm -hmm. for Nikki Haley here. If you have any hope at this point of actually competing with the former president, with Donald Trump, then you know, New Hampshire is a place where you really need to make a mark, particularly when it comes to these independents. I think it's interesting as well that you are seeing this week her sort of ratchet up some of the actual direct sort of attacks on the former president, as well as the current president, Biden as well, trying to link them as well, saying, look, a way that I am a stark difference from these two is one age. I mean, two uh, a certain uh, different generation of politician as well. Um, I do think it's noteworthy as well that recent polling also says many of those undecided voters are concerned about the state of democracy. Mm -hmm. And I'll be looking to see in the days ahead if she actually, as she attacks the former president, also in a forthright, blunt way, goes to actually calling out how he attacks uh, the judiciary systems and the courts as well, although that could be doubtful. Casey, let's give our viewers a little bit more of a sense of what's happening on the trail between and on TV between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump right now. She's not going to make it. She has no chance. She's got no way. Maggie's not going to be with her. He does tend to throw a temper tantrum. So Democrats are allowed to vote, which they're going to vote for her because they don't want to run against me. They want to run against her. That's what he does when he feels threatened. That's what he does when he feels insecure. I don't take these things personally. It doesn't bother me. I know him very well. And this is what he does. I know that I am a threat. We should just note uh, Donald Trump said Democrats are allowed to vote. They're not. Uh, only undeclared uh, voters are, but there is, as we were mentioning, uh, a pretty big share of the electorate. Yeah. Well, and you you can, I mean, you can change the same day registration. Okay. I'm sure. So you can you can pull a different. But if you're like a Democrat, ballot, but if you are currently registered as a Democrat and yeah. you have no intention of changing that, you are not voting Can't in vote. the Republican primary in New Hampshire. I, look, I look at all of this and I feel like we're, we may be looking back on this as the what if primary for people who didn't want to see Donald Trump become president again. What if Nikki Haley had started saying those things about Donald Trump months ago, right? I mean, she, she did it in the last week after she came in third uh, in Iowa. And what if Ron DeSantis had run a better campaign from the outset? What if he had done what he, he now says he regrets? He was on a radio show yesterday saying, I should have talked to the media. I should have talked to anyone that would talk to me. And I regret not doing that. Uh, he really does sound like, by the way, he's in the postmortem phase of a campaign that's officially still going. Um, but, but setting that aside, I mean, what if all of these things have been different? Because now, even if Nikki Haley does pull off a victory uh, in New Hampshire, still not outside the realm of possibility, that still means if she has any hope of winning the nomination, there has to be some part of the Republican Party that is longing for someone who is not named Donald Trump. And I think what we learned from Iowa is that those that appetite is simply not there. Yeah. And and 
uh, just sticking in New Hampshire. First of all, you're right, and we'll talk about that in a second, but just sticking to New Hampshire because uh, the electorate is such that it is probably the best chance for Nikki Haley to show that she does well. That is part of why she is lumping in Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which she started to do in Iowa and, and even before, but even more aggressively when she's talking to voters. Let's listen. This is the similarities you're seeing with Trump and Biden. Neither one of them will debate their opponents. The majority of Americans have very low, have very high disapproval numbers for both Trump and Biden. Trump and Biden both spent trillions of dollars that put us in debt. And Aaron, before you jump in, just to, to underline what Casey was saying, there's a new Marist poll out today, uh, which is actually looking at the more general election um, prospects. But the question is about New Hampshire Republicans and Republican-leaning independents. What they're looking for stands on conservative principles, 59 percent, best chance to defeat Biden, 39 percent. Yeah, and what that what that poll also showed is that, and I think it really reflects what we saw in the Iowa entrance polls, was that the issues that voters are most caring about are the issues that tend to favor Donald Trump. In Iowa, you had an issue like temperament, where Nikki Haley actually won a very large victory over Donald Trump on voters who were concerned about a candidate having the right temperament. But that was a very, very small chunk of the electorate. What we have in New Hampshire is a very unusually favorable electorate for somebody like Nikki Haley to win. But but this is a very uh, necessary but insufficient race for her. She needs to win this in order to actually change the race in other states. Most other states do not have an electric like this that has lots of independents who are showing up that can allow Democrats to actually change their registration on Election Day and vote for her. Um, and so really, in order to make this a race, she needs to have a win or a very close second in New Hampshire. Shy of that, and, and she can lower expectations all she wants to, there's just not really much of a path after that. Lower expectations, and I should note that it wasn't that long ago that um, her biggest advocate up there, Chris Sununu, was saying that she could win and will win. She's going to win in a landslide, and that's not an exaggeration. They've changed that tune yes. uh, quite clearly after what happened in Iowa. They have, and they're basically saying, well, we're going to do well. Uh, I mean, it's similar to what Ron DeSantis did, right? I mean, he said he was going to win Iowa and it, it, over the summer, and then all of a sudden in the weeks leading up to Iowa, well, we're going to do well in Iowa. We're not going to win uh, Iowa. And, you know, they're trying to reset expectations, but, I mean, let's be realistic. It would take something massive to kind of derail. You know, it's, it's, it's like he's a, a massive uh, ship sailing toward... Uh, he'd have to hit an iceberg, right? And Nikki Haley barely winning in New Hampshire, which is what she would do if she did win, right, um, is nowhere close enough, yeah. I, I don't think, to doing what you know Aaron was talking about um, in the context of a Republican primary, where it's very clear people have made made their they've made their bed. Their their loyalty is to Donald Trump. You're, you're so, totally yeah. right too for these candidates throughout this sort of campaign. The concern around alienating uh, Trump supporters really and Trump's base has completely dominated the strategy thus far uh, for, for both of these candidates. And it has led to um, a hesitancy to attack him and also when answering direct questions, whether it be about the history of the Civil War, whether it be uh, other questions that have to do with race relations in America, that's when you've had some of these sprawling, unclear you know, answers that I think do frustrate uh, uh, undeclared voters yeah. in New Hampshire as well. And, and on the flip side of that, you have what you always have, no matter who's running at this point in the election, things start to get even uglier than they were before. 
But when there's Donald Trump in the race and he is trying to uh, make his supporters uh, get off the couch and make clear you should not be complacent, what he does is he throws out um, dog whistles. It's like dog megaphones, I think, not even a dog You don't whistle. have to be a dog to hear them. You don't, you know. <laughs> uh, and this is one example. Uh, he had a Truth Social post uh, where he used the w word Nimbra three times, uh, referring to Nikki Haley. It's a um, clearly intentionally shifted, changed version of what her birth name is, which is Nimrata. Her middle name is Nikki. She always has gone by her middle name, like many people do. But this is trying to get people, oh, yeah, she's not, she doesn't look like us. Uh, let's go vote against her. It's, a, it's an attempt to otherize her, to, yeah. to, to cast her as something different. And, and the reason that you know that is because this is something that Donald Trump has done over and over again, almost the exact same playbook. Uh, it was with Obama where he did the birther uh, campaign against him, uh, then started introducing his middle name, Hussein. Uh, when it was Kamala Harris, it was a birther claim when she was picked as the VP, and then it was drawing out her name on the campaign trail in a very suggestive way. Uh, and then with Nikki Haley, it's you know, surfacing this birther claim last week on Truth Social, and now suddenly for the very first time in his political career, including when she was his UN ambassador, suddenly invoking her given name. So uh, I, I think it's pretty clear you can try to explain the way, and he, he says these things in ways that he's trying to get plausible deniability, but when you look at the way that he's handled these things over time, it's pretty abundantly clear exactly what he's trying to do. It, it could not be more clear, and it doesn't seem like he's trying to hide it. It's not like he put it in a secret he has no post. Shame. It's not like he's, yeah, he didn't put it in a secret post on the dark web. It's just, it's just there. Everybody stand by. We have a lot more to talk about, including Donald Trump's closing message to New Hampshire voters. It is not the economy. It's immunity. That's next. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's Chief Medical Correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. When a presidential candidate is asked what their message is to voters, you might expect them to talk about the economy, immigration, how they would make your lives better every day. But when former President Trump was asked for his closing message to New Hampshire voters, he first said, make America great again, of course. And then he said this. Any president has to have immunity, because if you take immunity away from the president, so important, you will have you will have a president that's not going to be able to do anything. Because when he leaves office, the opposing party, president, if it's the opposing party, will indict the president. My panel is back uh, with me. Make America immune again? Make a president <laughs> immune again? 
What would that? What would the letters be on that? Uh, Ma Maggi? Maggi? <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring. Can, yeah. You can't quite put that on a hat. No. Um, I mean, it's it it shows you a lot about where Donald Trump's his state of mind, right? And also, you know, how he's going to continue. Uh, to run this race as he becomes closer and he's not that far away from becoming the Republican presidential nominee at this point, right? And you know, one of the things we learned, and Dan, I know we talked about this on on the night in Iowa, but that entrance poll that showed that 32% of what is one of the most conservative electorates in all of America, the Iowa caucus goers, said that they uh, think that Trump would be unfit to be mm -hmm. president if he was convicted. Um, and that presents an enormous problem uh, for the president if he wants to, or the former president, if he wants to win a general election. When I listen to that, I'm hearing what I'm sure the, the rest of the campaign is going to be, which is Trump attempting to tear down institutions in order to convince people that he is, in fact, fit because it's the system that's the problem, right? And it's, a, it's an even you know, darker version of kind of what we've been covering with yeah. him all the way along. That, that's, that's such a succinct way of putting it, that it's not me, it's the system that's the problem, which has been a version of what the Trump campaign has been since June of 2015, but even more so now that he's got all this legal incoming, right. largely because of the alleged uh, actions that he took over and over again in office and uh, since leaving office. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but you mentioned the entrance poll in Iowa, and there's a new, I mentioned the Marist poll that's out, and it really kind of mirrors, generally speaking, where in New Hampshire, where the voters in Iowa are on the question of Donald Trump and his legal issues. And this particular question was whether or not he should have immunity as president. These are New Hampshire Republicans and Republican leaning independents. 65% um, say he should have immunity, but again, that 30% say he should not have immunity. Yeah, and if you look at Republican primary polls, there have been a number that have asked a question along the lines of, uh, should we have a president that's willing to break some rules or willing to even break some laws in order to get the country back on track because that's what requi what's required at this moment in time. It's not necessarily a majority view in the Republican Party right now, but it is a very distinct minority view. A lot of Republicans buy into that argument. Um, and so what we have is uh, what we often have with Donald Trump, which is he latches onto something that has some appeal to a very animated and often extreme part of the Republican Party uh, that can win him a nomination, but it may work against him in the general election. If, if the rest of the country is 60 plus percent against the idea that a president should have immunity, the idea that they're going to be on board with him, you know, taking his authorities to new levels seems pretty unlikely. And this seems to be something that, you know, Democrats could really play off of in the general election. This, this does remind me of something that you would hear often from Republicans, really going back to the most recent midterms, though, mm. which was almost pleading for the former president to home in on the current issues in the country, uh, immigration, the economy, inflation, mm -hmm. the political vulnerabilities of the current White House, rather than continuing to look back retroactively, whether it be at the 2020 election or at your own personal grievances. Um, you know, the time that answer could have been spent about talking about inflation, talking about the current deal on the uh, and negotiations on the Hill right now mm -hmm. over the border, things that really uh, folks around the White House are worried about here. Instead, once again, there's this uh, repetitive nature of almost mastering yeah. victimhood, you know, for the former president. I, I want to quickly turn, uh, while we can, to another thing that's happening on the ground in New Hampshire, which is people who are hoping that they get picked for, uh, or at least maybe hoping in private, not in public, that they get picked 
for uh, the running mate for, for Donald Trump are campaigning yeah. for him in New Hampshire. You have uh, J.D. Vance, the senator from uh, Ohio, who I'm told uh, Don Jr. really, really likes, uh, among other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, Elise Stefanik, who is maybe his number one uh, supporter and outspoken fan in Congress, also campaigning. Uh, what does that tell you? <laughs> it tells you that uh, they all think that the uh, the primary is over. Uh, and you're seeing this across the board, I think, in, in Washington with more and more senators uh, trying to get on board before it's suddenly viewed uh, as being too late. Uh, and they will have sunk themselves in the event that Donald Trump is the next president of the United States. Uh, and I do think uh, that in, especially in Stefanik's case, I mean, I think she's probably one I would really zero in on. I think, I think the thinking is they would like to choose a woman for the role if they can find the right one. Um, and she has worked really hard to elevate her own profile as someone who is a attack dog, a megaphone. You use, you pick your word for Donald Trump explicitly. Yeah. She did it, uh, you know, in a high-profile appearance on Meet the Press, which was something that she hadn't been doing uh, a lot of before. We've seen a lot of other kind of indications along those lines. And you're also, on the flip side, starting to see uh, MAGA world, so to speak, start to push back against the idea that Nikki Haley might be oh, the yeah. vice president been, in yeah. a pretty str strong way. Yeah, Steve Bannon has been uh, railing against that for a while. I, I should also mention Nick, uh, Christy Nome, yes. the governor of South Dakota, who uh, is, has a good relation, very good relationship with Donald Trump, has always already been out there. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about that. But we also want to talk about the sitting president, the incumbent president, because he is hitting the campaign trail. We've got brand new reporting on how his campaign wants him out with voters and not behind a podium. The Biden administration announced another round of student loan forgiveness today. The action will forgive $5 billion in student loans for 74,000 borrowers. That brings total student debt forgiveness under the Biden administration to over $137 billion for more than 3.7 million borrowers. I want to get back to our panel to discuss this and other information regarding the Biden reelection effort. MJ Lee joins the panel now. MJ, we're going to get to your new reporting in one second, but let's just stay on uh, this announcement from the Biden administration and just talk for a second about how it plays into the very important yet very fragile coalition that he needs to keep intact in order to uh, win re-election. And one of the questions is about on student loans and young people and getting them excited. And because it's been, um, there have been lots of hurdles, let's say, in getting the student loan forgiveness promise actually to the finish line. I wanna listen to some voters in Nevada they're swing voters, and this is part of what they were talking about. They are Trump to Biden voters from back in 2020. At first, I heard him say a lot of things that he was going to be doing, and um, even with the student loans and stuff. And he has somewhat, but it hasn't, for a lot of people, um, his promises have not come forth. He's definitely made improvements to student loans. I, I know not as much as some people feel, but um, there definitely have been people who have gotten their student loan debt erased. Biden really agonized over this decision initially mm -hmm. uh, for student loan forgiveness. I reported at the time that um, his top aides um, were presenting data that said, look, on one hand, you know, we don't want to alienate sort of uh, the working class. And, you know, you've framed yourself as Amtrak Joe and protecting sort of the sanctity of labor. But on the other hand, former chief of staff, Ron Klain, was saying, look, 
this could really galvanize young voters here. Um, it was also policy-wise meant to be a part of sort of a racial equity agenda as well mm. um, and aimed at galvanizing black voters, voters of color um, as, uh, as well here. Um, and now sort of the challenges you had that really sprawling announcement of student loan forgiveness, um, which obviously hit roadblocks in the courts. And now you kind of have a piecemeal approach of right. trying to forgive loan here and there. But you raised expectations so much amongst the voting blocks that I just described. Will these announcements really please those voters mm -hmm. and, and excite them in the same way that that initial announcement would? Yeah, that's such a good point. Uh, Casey, before we get to MJ's reporting, I want to just put one more bit of this focus group from uh, Richard Thaw, which is always great to have. Uh, this specifically is on the economy and how people are feeling about it. Rentals have gone up. Senior housing has gone up. Um, people who have to sell their house or want to sell or have to want have, want to be relocated cannot do it right now unless they take a loss. It hits every every way of life, not just grocery stores, but but in all these other major major expenses that people have. So the real problem is that we don't get to see things on the bottom line of it all. But like when we when we go to the grocery stores or we go to the gas pumps, we're not seeing those. We're not those. The savings aren't coming over to us. I got a, uh, a text with a story for the Wall Street Journal today from somebody in Biden world saying that voters are starting to feel the economy. I mean, this is really- I, I got that same text. Did you really? <laughs> That's shocking, MJ. Uh, but this, I mean, in all seriousness, this is really like the heart of their challenge and it has yeah. been from the jump. Right, because I think it, for everybody, it feels a little harder to do everything, uh, to take care of your family, to, uh, by, I mean, the food inflation in particular, I think, has been very noticeable. And rent, as these people mentioned, right, housing costs uh, after the pandemic uh, are just off the charts to the point where, I mean, sometimes I think about it. I don't know how if I was just starting out, if I was a young person like like one of these people that, that the Biden campaign is trying to win over, it feels impossible, yeah. right? Uh, and I don't know that it necessarily... There are some people who think back on the Trump era and they think, oh, that was better. I felt better then. Uh, but there also is the reality that, like, Donald Trump's not the president yep. right now and Joe Biden is. Right. So Joe Biden owns it. Yep, that's right. right? Uh, okay, MJ, your great reporting about the fact that well, this is a, a problem that every incumbent president has, which is how do you get out of the bubble? How do you get out from behind uh, the podium <clears throat> and over and we're gonna put the headline of your new reporting on the screen, uh, milkshake smoothies and soul food, how Biden hopes to return to retail politics and it will pay off in November. I mean, that is really what they're hoping to do. It's a challenge when you're an incumbent president. It's a challenge. I mean, I'll, I'll start with this data point, which is that today is January 19th and the Biden White House hasn't had a single public event at the White House all year. We've seen him out and yeah. about in the country uh, for both official White House events and campaign events. And increasingly, we are seeing uh, the campaign having him do these sort of smaller stops at, you know, ice cream stores, which is like his favorite thing, um, diners, coffee shops. And, you know, this is campaigning and politics 101. I'm not suggesting at all, and the Biden campaign isn't either, uh, saying that they've sort of like broken the code on this, but um, I think it is worth underscoring how especially important this is for Biden, the candidate. This is a person, and I know you know this very well, who 
truly loves uh, being with people, talking to people, connecting with people. This is something that the campaign wants to capitalize on. You know, covering him at the White House, one way in which we try to figure out is, uh, is everything going to stay on schedule today? is to see if there is an event where Biden has an opportunity to talk to people on the rope line, uh, whether it's when Marine One is uh, taking off or when he's coming back, whether it's at an event. And if there is an event like that, yeah, there's a decent chance that we're going to be late because he loves to he talk lingers. to every, he wants to hit up every single yeah. person in the room. So we are going to be seeing much more of that in the campaign year, and that's expected. But again, just especially important, I think, for this candidate. Okay, great reporting. Appreciate it. Please check it out on CNN.com for a lot more. Coming up, Attorney General Merrick Garland pushes back on the claim that he is weaponizing the Justice Department against Donald Trump. CNN's exclusive conversation next, plus breaking news on a brand new endorsement of Donald Trump. Stay with us. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. into CNN South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is expected to endorse Donald Trump tonight in New Hampshire. That's according to a source familiar with the plans. CNN's Elena Treen joins me again from Concord, New Hampshire with the news. Elena. Yeah, well, Dana, a, a big pickup for Donald Trump. We're hearing, um, and my colleague Kristen Holmes reported this, that Senator Tim Scott is supposed to endorse Donald Trump tonight in New Hampshire. And again, a really big pickup for Donald Trump and a blow of sorts to Nikki Haley. We know, of course, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley are both from the state of South Carolina. Um, Tim Scott was previously a presidential candidate. Um, and Donald Trump's campaign, I know from my conversations with his advisors, have been talking to Tim Scott ever since he dropped out of the race about a potential endorsement. And it was expected that he would endorse um, at some point before the South Carolina primary. And of course, this is coming a couple weeks before that. And we know that Donald Trump's team really were looking for that endorsement. And so I think they're very happy that he's going to be making this announcement later tonight. And look, I think this uh, also speaks to part of Donald Trump and his campaign's broader strategy as it relates to South Carolina as well. They have been very heavily trying to rely on surrogates, uh, including the governor, Henry McMaster, as well as Senator Lindsey Graham, two uh, leaders in South Carolina to help them with their campaign uh, and also try to you know, pose some attacks on Nikki Haley as well as we're increasingly seeing his campaign ramp up their attacks against her. And so I think they're going to be very happy to not only have his endorsement, but potentially use him as another surrogate for Trump and his campaign. Yeah, potentially use him as a surrogate. And in the last block, uh, we were talking about beep stakes, people who could be uh, on yeah. his list to uh, be his running mate if he does get the nomination. And there's no question. I've not talked to anybody in Trump world who does not have Tim Scott on that list. And it certainly helps with the candidate, Donald Trump, uh, that Tim Scott is endorsing, because, as you know, better than I, that matters a lot to Donald Trump. Thank you so much, Elena. I appreciate it. Thanks exactly. to Kristen Holmes for the reporting as well. Now to Attorney General Merrick Garland. He sat down exclusively with CNN, is, is insisting politics has no influence over decisions that are made at the Justice Department, especially when it comes 
to former President Donald Trump. Do you think that the department took too long to bring these cases, maybe? The special prosecutors followed the facts and the law. Uh, They brought cases when they thought they were ready. The former president will be in the middle of several cases in the coming weeks, two of which involve conspiracy charges linked to his ongoing and documented efforts to overturn the 2020 election. CNN's Paula Reed is here to once again try to sort all this out for our viewers. Paula, okay, let's start with February 8th. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear arguments in the Colorado 14th Amendment case challenging Trump's eligibility to run for office. Yeah, Dana, this is huge. This is the biggest election case before the Supreme Court since Bush v. Gore. Now, this is also the first time that the justices are wading into the 2024 campaign and Trump's many legal issues. But among his many cases, this is the one where he is expected to have the greatest chance of success, as many legal experts expect that the justices are not going to want to completely strip voters of their choice of candidate based on this constitutional language, where we've seen even courts within the same state couldn't quite agree on what it means. And let's uh, talk about something, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give our, our viewers a little bit of a window behind the scenes that you and I have been talking about a lot this morning, and that is what is happening in Georgia. The judge overseeing Donald Trump's election subversion case there has set a date to hear a motion to disqualify the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, based on allegations that she had an improper relationship with the special prosecutor. Uh, quickly explain what the allegations are, and more importantly, what it could mean for the case. How would, if the allegations were proven true, how would that affect her ability to run the case? And this could have a significant impact on her role in the case. Now, this hearing is going to be to establish whether this is actually true. Is there evidence to support these allegations that they had some kind of personal relationship? And if that had any role in her selecting Wade, who does not really have an extensive resume in this kind of work for this job, which has paid uh, quite a substantial amount of money. Now, again, there needs to be evidence. But if there is evidence to support these allegations, well, that calls into question certainly uh, her judgment in handling one of the most politically sensitive cases in the country, but also will call into question whether Willis and Wade can continue to oversee this case. Now, just because they may have this relationship doesn't mean that the charges uh, don't have any merit or that they won't proceed. But if this is true, if a judge finds there is evidence to to support these claims, that again might call into question who would be running this. The case could potentially have to be handed off to the state's attorney general. And quickly, before I let you go, I want to get to the immunity claim that Donald Trump is talking about extensively on the campaign trail. Uh, What can you tell us about the timing of when the Supreme Court will decide that? Any minute now, Dana, I check my phone all day, every day, (laughs) looking for this critical decision because we know whatever happens here, it's not expected that Trump is going to succeed. Um, But whatever decision this Court of Appeals makes, going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. Unclear if they're going to want to weigh in, but the amount of time it takes the Supreme Court to get back to everyone, that could determine if Trump faces these federal election subversion charges this year or ever, really, Mm. but particularly this question of whether that case will go before November. Thank you so much, Paula. When we come back, a very personal account of a congresswoman feeling racism in Congress. Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee is slamming Nikki Haley for saying America is not a racist country. Lee says institutional racism is in the DNA of the United States and shared a personal story with my colleague Caitlin Collins about experiencing racism in the halls of Congress. 
I was walking from the House building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol, and a man, a white guy, stopped me and told me I could not get into the member's elevator. And, you know, we have uh, pens, and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress, and it was for members only. I said, sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen, and he said, whose pen did you steal? Now, this is an example of what personal racism is and how people of color constantly have to deal with this each and every day. Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Politics today. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner, a CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode. 